you have your Bible tonight? Glad to have it. And uh, so if you have it, how about you turn to the book of 2 Corinthians tonight? We're going to look at just a little thought that I hope will be very helpful to you. And uh, appreciate you being here. We all need help, don't we? I'm glad we know where to look. And uh, we know the Lord helps us. We know he helps us through his word. And uh, he speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through circumstances, believe it or not. Sometimes we don't like those circumstances. But nonetheless, God's always trying to work and speak to our hearts. And uh, tonight, I want to deal with a subject uh, that I hope will be helpful to you. You might need to stow it away. It might not be real relevant to you today. But uh, I believe if you've lived long, it should be relevant. Uh, one thing that is for sure, a man is a few days and full of... Let's try that one more time. If a man is a few days and full of trouble. So if the Bible says that if a man is a few days and full of trouble, that means if you've lived on this earth a few days, you know trouble. We live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, we live in uh, where sin has had its effect. And of course, we're living in a culture that is anti-God. And they're trying to get God out of everything. They want God out of everything. And, uh, but we know that the Word of God is still... The only truth, all complete, unadulterated truth. Now, I know that we're going to be criticized for that. We're going to, people are going to try to debate us for that. And uh, people are going to try to challenge our belief when we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. But they can, uh, they can criticize. They can, uh, they can uh, make fun of. They can persecute, whatever they want to do. But I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's Word is truth. And it's not because I've always understood it. It's by faith. I'm trusting it. But there's enough in this book that God has proved himself to me in. And years ago when I was working at a marketing company, uh, there was a young man that was on my shift. He knew that I was a Christian. He knew I was in Bible college. And so he wanted to call me out. So he asked me after work. Well, actually, he challenged me on the floor. And I told him, I said, now look. I said, you're not supposed to be talking about that. You're supposed to be working. I said, let's talk about that after work. And because uh, he wanted to make a scene on the, on the floor. And to be honest, I'm not being ugly, but I could have got him. I could have actually reprimanded him and took him. And, you know, he wasn't supposed to do that on the sales floor. But he was young. And so we went outside after work. And uh, he looked at me and he says, oh, I'll tell you what, I used to be a Christian. I used to be in the Bible. I used to be in, a, I was raised in church just like you were. And he said, I just, I'm just going to tell you, I don't believe any of that anymore. And he said, I just got one question for you. He said, how do you know that God is real? And I'm going to be honest with you, church. I just looked at him and I said, you ask me how I know he's real. He lives within my heart. He said, he's real to me. I said, you know why I know he's real? I said, he's changed my life. Can I get a witness? Has he changed yours? I'm going to promise you this. If you have him, he changes you. I promise you that. He'll change you. He's real. Now, tonight, let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul is pinning these under the inspiration of God, dealing with a troubled church. The church of Corinth had a lot of problems. You know why? They had a lot of problems. He had a lot of troubled people. 
They had a lot of troubles because he had a lot of people causing problems. And I've learned this. That's normally what causes problems is people. Right? So, with dealing with that, he's trying to deal with people lovingly, sternly. Because if you read the book of Corinthians, I mean, he's pretty stern with these people. But we know that he loves them. But as we read this, now in the second book, he's trying to encourage and some establish some things. Because in 1 Corinthians... He got them pretty good, boy. I mean, he, he, he came at them pretty hard. So in 2 Corinthians, I think he's trying to establish some things here. And let's look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now look, this is deep. This is heavy stuff. Most Christians never very rarely enter into this in the Christian life. Do you know what he's saying here? He is so spiritual that he understands the thing that's breaking his heart and all the troubles that he's going through is for somebody else's good. I want you to think about that. That's how strong the Apostle Paul, he got it, he understood it. Now, I'm not there, but I'm telling you right now, as we read this, he's trying to let these people know that for, he says, as our sufferings of Christ abound in us. In other words, he said, we're getting it here. I mean, we're taking it on the chin. He said, but it's for our consolation also abound by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, and he knows he's being afflicted, it is for your, the reader's, Consolation salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation. He's trying to encourage them. Say, look, what all we went through in life, if we respond to it properly, it can be to your help. Notice what verse 7 says. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. In other words, I don't want you to think, we're not trying to brag and tell you how much trouble we've gone in just so you feel sorry for us. That's not what he's saying. He makes it very clear. He says, we're not just telling you all this trouble. We're not giving you a pity party so you feel sorry for us. Notice what he says. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, 
above strength. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Who delivered us? From so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. In other words, he said, we're not delivered yet from the trouble and the struggle and the sorrow and the storms. But we're trusting we will be. Because he's delivered us from the greatest deliverer that we needed. And that was from our sin. Verse 11, you also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thank may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll do what I cannot do. I pray you'll speak to our hearts, Lord. We know this is a very important subject, even if it's being preached on a Wednesday night. Lord, I understand the people that stand sitting in front of me and the people that are online listening, they are listening tonight wanting to hear from you. And God, I, I, I'm going to be, you know it as well as I do. I'm empty of self. I, I ask you to help me, fill me with your spirit, and help me to be a preacher just for a little while because it's not in me. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love, as you read the, uh, the epistles of Paul, I mean, he's quite the writer. And uh, if you ever notice about Paul, if you look, if you read his, his epistles, his letters, they're, normally most of them are short. But one thing, if you ever notice, he always gives a short intro. It's not a long intro, it's a short intro. And, you know, I sometimes think about that because, you know, a lot of times... I've been in meetings before, and I'm not being ugly, but I've been in meetings before, and when someone gets up to give an introduction to a preacher, that thing takes like 30 minutes. All the accolades and all of the blessings and all of the praises that is heaped up on men. But I want you to notice, probably I think one of the most godliest men that's ever walked on earth, he never did that about himself. He always kept the introduction as... Quick, just as short as possible. And if you notice, he, I love this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, with you are in case. Grace be in you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 3, he says, look, I kept that introduction short because I don't want to heap a bunch of blessings on me because he said, I'm in a hurry. I want to hurry up and get to the place of where really the praise and the honor and the glory should go. Let's get it to God. Verse 3. Blessed be to God. Praise, a good word about his God. Blessed. Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice the subject matter here of this passage of Scripture. And obviously I've been preaching on this a lot lately. But notice the subject matter. It's trouble. <laughs> it's suffering. Hardships. Discouragement. And I want you to notice, this is a man of God. The Apostle Paul went to the then known world. Crossed the then known world. 
gave the gospel, but he tells us here that he was so discouraged, he was pressed out of measure in verse 8. And the Bible said, he said that he had to learn something. He didn't trust in himself, but he said it was in such a, I was in so much despair, he said, even of my life. Now sometimes we look at the men and the women of the Bible like they're some superhuman people. They hurt just like we hurt. They suffer just like we suffered. And many of them worse. So we know that the subject matter here, Paul don't use this kind of language. Paul don't just flippantly throw this language out there. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength. In other words, he said, we're dealing with things that we can't handle. And here's what I love about Paul. He admitted it. He admitted it. Now today, if we had Christians that said, oh, I just can't do that. We're going to look at them like they're weak. No, when you tap into God's strength, I'm going to tell you right now, we kind of get like the Apostle Paul because he said, look, I want you to know, we were pressed such above measure. He said, we couldn't do anything ourselves. You know what Paul was saying here? Even of lights. In other words, look, he's, I'm telling you right now, it was so much of despair in so much that we despaired of even our life. He said, we don't know we're going to make it. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. These ain't my words, these are his words. He said, insomuch, even of life. You know what he was saying? Even I didn't know if he was going to make it. I didn't know if he was going to lie. I didn't even know if I'm going to live. That's what he's saying. You ever been there? Really, have you ever been there? I know some of you have been there. I know some of you have been there. That's tough stuff. So that's the subject matter. I mean, Paul is dealing very straight, I mean, just very straightforward. He said, I was pressed out of measure. I'm going to say this, and, and I've done it. I, I, I say you've probably done it too. It's not uncommon to find people speaking or questioning God when they're suffering, when they're hurting, when things have happened, you don't understand it. I mean, I, I think it was, I think, I think even some of the most spiritual people that I've ever known, they come to weak moments in life that no doubt, they probably get to a place in life that they start to question, where, God, where are you? Why has this happened? Why have you allowed this? Or why is this taking place? I mean, I think that, that wouldn't be too far out of sort that if I would say that if you've lived a long time at all, no matter spiritual you are, I, I believe we've all come to that place. But and, and I've heard people say, well, if God really cared, He wouldn't let things like this happen. I mean, maybe even the strongest Christian in the world being hit, knocked in the stomach, dealing with like Paul's dealing with, pressed out of measure. I mean, that wouldn't be uncommon, really. And I know some good people, and probably even myself, that we've done that before. We might not have ever voiced it, but we thought it. Where are you, God? What's happening here, Lord? This isn't fair. If you really love me, why did you? But I just want to serve notice here now. Paul showed some real humanity here, but I'm going to tell you something else that encouraged me here. In this passage, I do not find one iota where he's questioning God why certain things happened. His response was good. 
I can't say I've always responded like this. You know how he's responding? Blessed be God. You know how his response is? It was a word of praise. Now there's a reason. There's a reason why he can praise God. There's a reason. He learned some things. And he learned them through the school of suffering. He learned them through the school of darkness. He learned them through his tribulation. He learned this in his sorrow. He didn't learn it on the mountaintop. You're not going to learn how to praise God when everything's going good. You're going to learn how to praise God when everything's bad. Because see, when everything's bad and everything's tough, that's when God really becomes real to you. And we realize when we don't have everything, we don't have anything, we find out He's all we need. But let me tell you what He's learned. I'm going to give you some things just on this passage why I believe He can praise the Lord. And His response, even in this dark day, is encouraging to all of us. Number one, He learned this. God is the God of comfort. Can I just say that's the message, Brother Chris? It's the God of all comfort. That's the message. The God of all comfort. We have a God of all comfort. Not just comfort, the God of all comfort. Think about this. Through all of his trouble, through all of his suffering, through all of his trials, he realized this. God was there. He said in verse number one, by the will of God. By the will of God, he realized that the will of God was actively being present in his life. God, God was guiding and leading his life. God was there. He showed him compassion in these moments. Notice what he said. We were pressed out of measure, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. So he realized that God, we can't trust ourselves. So he trusted the God of all comfort. Now I want you to think about that. What is comfort? We talk about that a lot. What is it? What is it? See, we've come up with words and, and we, we put human words, we put human description, human definition. For instance, y'all ever heard of the word narcissist? Y'all know what a narcissist is? Well, we have all this big long lingo that we've got all these lists of things what a narcissist is. But I'm going to tell you, before a scientist or a doctor ever said so-and-so or a psychologist said that so-and-so is a narcissist, do you know that God already gave a title for a narcissist? It's someone is a person of strife. Strife. You read the Bible how many times God dealt with people that were people of strife. It's a narcissist. And the same here. We use the word comfort. That's what God uses, your comfort. But what does it mean? When, when we say that we believe in a God of comfort, does that mean that He takes all of our pain away? No. He doesn't take all of our pain away. Does that mean he takes all of our trouble away because he comforts us? No. That's not what it means. What does it mean that he's the God of all comfort? Comfort, it comes from a word of paracleo. I'm not great in Greek. I know a little Greek. He has, he has a store down on the corner, amen. Y'all catch up by freight later. But what does it mean? It comes from that word, paraclete. What does it mean? Are y'all ready? This is powerful stuff. One who is alongside. 
In other words, he stands there with you and he gives you strength through it all. See? He stands with you and gives you strength. He doesn't say he takes it away, but he stands up for you. He stands for you. He loves you enough to stand for you. In your darkest of days, He gives you strength. In your darkest of days, He's there who strengthens us, helps us, comes alongside us. When we're weak, He comes alongside us like a lawyer would come alongside someone that He's defending. The Lord comes alongside us and strengthens us. He comforts us. Now again, it doesn't say here that He takes away everything. No, He comforts us. He comes alongside. He strengthens us. He aids us. He props us up. Even when we're so weak. That's what he says here. Paul said, look, we were pressed out of measure. I couldn't even trust in myself. So he said, what I had to do, I had to, I had to rely on the God of comfort. And I've realized he is the God of all comfort because he comforted me. When I couldn't, he did. He helped me. And our greatest need, the God of compassion, the God of comfort, and all comfort. Look, in our greatest need, here's what I mean. Let's make this practical. How did God comfort us when us being sinners? God comforted us in our greatest need. You know what he did? He sent alongside of us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, bleed and die on the cross, raised from the dead. Because you know what? He come alongside us to save us from our sins. Our greatest need. By the way, none of us are saved tonight unless God comforted us in our sin. He sent His Son to come alongside us in our greatest need when we were lost. God sent His Son, the great comforting Savior by our side and, and, and said to us, you trust me. I've died for you. I love you. I've paid the price of sin for you. Now put your faith in me. And have the gift of salvation. That's our greatest need. And God is the God of comfort. And our greatest need. And our greatest struggle. God comforted us by sending His Son to come alongside us. And comfort us. See our sin. And this is what. This is, this is a good lesson for parents. Sin should never be excused. Our sin was not excused. That's why we're living in a day where there are so many unruly children because sin's being excused. God did not even excuse our sin. Jesus paid for it. There was a payment. There was accountability. There was a price. There was something that had to be done. There was a payment for that sin. Jesus did not. God did not excuse our sin, but paid for our sin. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came alongside us and comforted us. In our greatest need. Our greatest need. Our sin was not excused, but paid for by His death, by His burial, by His resurrection. And we ought to love the gospel. And even more than loving the gospel, we ought to love the God of the gospel. And by the way, have you told someone the gospel lately? The death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When has it been since you've told someone your personal salvation story? 
See, we realize, he realized, we need to realize that he is the God of all comfort. When you're in your deepest need, he is the God of all comfort. Can I say, he learned not only that God of God was all comfort, because he obviously comforts us with all of our needs, but I want you to notice this. This is powerful. Excuse me, and I think it's the most powerful thing here. We comfort others. Paul learned this. Now, this is what, this is what I said when I stopped when I was reading. This is deep stuff right here. Now, this, this is where most Christians never tap in. Most Christians never tap into this. They, they don't understand this because they don't want to understand it. They can't get past the first part of just the hurt. They can't just get past the struggle. They just can't get past the trouble. Or they don't want to get past the trouble, so they don't deal with it. And we don't deal with it properly. But notice what God said in verse 4. This is powerful. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. That's powerful stuff right there now. Oh, this is powerful. Oh, all of his suffering, his, his stoning, his being jailed, him being beaten, him being betrayed, Paul being shipwrecked, Paul being scourged, Paul being lonely. So many troubles, so many trials. I don't believe you could have touched the Apostle Paul and you would have not have touched a scar. You would have not touched a piece of his body that I do not believe that you would not have touched a scar that he got because he served Jesus. But in all of his affliction, he said, in all of them, notice, he said in verse 4, all, A-L-L, -L, all, the God of all comfort. He found the comfort of God in it. Now, what was the outcome? How do you know that he found out the strength and the comfort of God? It, it might have took him some time. See, here's the thing we don't understand sometimes about the Bible. We don't have any time. We don't have concept of time. See, here's what I'm going to say. Sometimes we as Christians, we just feel like, okay, now, you're just supposed to snap out of it. Just snap out of it now. Just snap. Snap. Snap out. Come on now. Snap. Just snap out of it. No, we don't know how long this took. He said he was pressed out of measure. But here's what's amazing. We know he got out of it. And we know he finally got out of it. Because the, the, the reason that we know he got out of it. And he found out that God had a purpose in it. Because he became a second mile Christian. And he took his sufferings. He took his trouble. And he tried to help other people with them. Most people don't want to go there. He was able to comfort others that was, com that was hurting. So he was able to comfort those who were in the affliction with the same comfort that he received. God help us here. Let's go beyond. This right here, we, we need such a heavy dose of this in Christianity today. God help us right here. You know how you're going to have great influence on other people? Think about this. Let's just change this around and Let's just say Paul changed his writing here and talked about how bad he had it. 
Let's just talk about like most of us would do and just talk about how unfair things was. And by the way, in the middle of all this stuff, it feels that way. But the truth is, Paul was wanting to get what God wanted him to have out of it. Does it, does it help others to know that God's helped us? I mean, how can we really help somebody else if we've really never let God help us? What do people need when I preach? What does people need when you talk? What's people really need? Oh, that's a great sermon, Pastor. Well, what makes it a great sermon? First of all, it shouldn't be a sermon. It should be a message. What makes it, what makes it a message? What, what do you need here tonight? I mean, really, what? What do you need? Most people come to church and they hear the preacher and they expect the preacher to give them something that will help them. Look, can I help y'all something? I can't help with y'all. I can't help y'all with a thing if I ain't been helped myself. And by the way, I'm struggling with things right now, but by faith, look here. I know he's going to help me. And I know when he helps me, he's going to help me to help others later. Do you know what people need to know when you give counsel or when I give an illustration or I give a message or if you're teaching a Sunday school class? Do you really know what people really want to hear? How's God helped you? That's what people really want to hear, right? Well, because if he ain't helped you, if it ain't changed you, if, if it ain't, I mean, if, if you don't have no peace... In the darkness of your troubles? I mean, then why would, why would lost people want what we have? They, people want to know, well, what helped you? Brother Chris, what helped you? Give me some advice. I mean, that's what people want when you get up and preach. Paul's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what's helped me. He said, I went through some things. But when I got through those things, I learned that God was my all God of comfort. And so look, what, and I'm going to tell you what else people need to know. They don't need to know what you can do. By the way, when you listen to people preach and teach, you can tell whether they're not they're full of themselves in about five minutes because they're going to talk about how good they are, how blessed they are, how talented they are, what all they've done. Look, we don't need that. Even Paul said this. He said, look, I'm at a place here. I can't even trust myself. And let me just say, here's what people need. They need to know how he can help you. Others need what God can do for you. That's what they need. <laughs> I used a lady in our church, a lady and a man, a couple in our church to someone the other day. We were talking to them. And I said, you need to get with this lady in our church. I said, because she understands what, she understands what heartbreak is. And I said, I know her well enough that I know her well enough that she tries to fight that heartbreak. And you know what I've learned about this woman? She does more for people than about anybody I know. Because she's learned to overcome that grief. God has allowed her to be able to be a blessing to so many people. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's big stuff. That, that's deep right there. That's what Paul's talking about here. Can I read something to you? And I'll probably close. 
I appreciate every time I think of anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think of my son. He went to Germany for him and Chris went to Germany for their field trip. Y'all had a great time, didn't you? Did y'all like that snitchel? You got to laugh every once in a while. You do enough crying. Y'all got to go to a Dachau. Did y'all see all the shoes? Something in it. Has anybody ever been to Germany other than these two? Did y'all go to Dachau? It's powerful, isn't it? I want to read something to you. Of course, we're talking about Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the handful of German theologians. And Clay bought me a book. I've enjoyed reading. I've not read all of it. But powerful. A man of wisdom. A man really one of the few in all of the whole country of Germany that knew what Hitler was about. I mean, churches was overtaken by Nazi, Nazism. But Bonhoeffer never was. He, he had enough wisdom of him and God on him on the front end. When all the other churches was caving into Nazism and to Hitler, he never caved. It had cost him his life. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of a handful of German theologians who stood up to the Nazification of the German church. Bonhoeffer's courage thrust him into leadership in that part of the Protestant church that opposed Hitler. He founded an underground seminary in Bavaria, which was closed by the Gestapo chief Heinrich Himmler. This led to his joining the resistance movement and his being imprisoned by the Gestapo in 1943. Bonhoeffer's letters from prison became a bestseller after the war. Among the letters is a beautiful poem written to his fiancée. Now catch this name, Maria von Wiedemeyer. And here was the entitlement of this poem. It was New Year 1945. The third stanza of this poem became famous. I'm going to read it to you. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command, we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Those touching and piercing words became more so when three months later, just as the war was ending, Bonhoeffer was hung at Flossenburg Prison. Fast forward to some 18 years later. Across the Atlantic in America, when another bride-to-be was grieving the death of her fiancé and found much comfort in Bonhoeffer's poem, her fiancé, who died from injuries in a sledding accident, was the son of Arthur Joe Bailey and his wife, Mary Lou. When she mailed Bonhoeffer's poem to them, Joe and Mary Lou also found comfort in New Year of 1945. Twelve years after this... So it's 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death. Joe Bailey received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts relating that he had visited, I want y'all to catch this, a terminally ill woman in Boston Hospital for some period and had given her Joe's book of poems. Heaven, his book of poems on heaven was a comfort for her. The pastor said that the dying woman had stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort and help that she had received from it. A few hours later, she died. The woman, the pastor revealed, was none other than Maria von Wiedemeyer, Weller, which was Bonhoeffer's fiance three decades earlier. 
Where'd that come from? Bonhoeffer's trouble. Bonhoeffer's struggle. When Bonhoeffer was comforted, listen to me, 30 years later, somebody else was comforted because he allowed the God of comfort to comfort him. See, we know he's the God of all comfort because we know he's the God of all comfort. Because of that, we know that he comforts, we comfort others. But then I want you to notice this, we must trust him. Look at verse 9. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves. In other words, we want, look here, we wanted to die. That's what he's saying. Whatever took place in Paul's life, he said, look, I want you to know something. I can't even talk about it. He said, we were so pressed out of measure. He said, if we couldn't even trust ourselves, it led us to a sentence of death in ourselves. In other words, he's speaking about it himself. He said, there was death inside. You ever been there when you're dead inside? You're numb, you're hurt, you're broken. It's death. He says, here's what I learned. Can't trust myself. <laughs> he said, look what he said, verse 9. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised can I say this quickly? When things are dark, trust Him. When all things are bad, trust Him. If you're lost here tonight, trust Him. Wherever you are in life tonight, trust Him. You've got to learn to trust Him. By the way, I never knew, and I'm going to be honest, I never knew because it, it's become really the, the kind of the where I'm at right now. And I never knew, never knew. And I had nothing to do with it. But when Miss Sarah, and I had nothing to do we know this with all of little stones, everything's going on with stone. And because Miss Sarah takes care of our sign, that sign has not been changed, which is fine with me for months. Because every time I drive by, here's what I see. I see, trust God even when you don't feel like it. i tell you what, them preachers need to just learn how to be quiet. And I thought about this. Could you imagine... Let's put ourselves at the bedside of stone for all of these weeks. If you were the parents sitting there beside the little, the little child that was so full of vibrant of attitude and personality. And, and all of a sudden he's laying there fighting for life. And now he's at a place where, and I seen him yesterday, boy, he, they were working with him and he liked that sucker. Just, I don't know, did she put these videos up? And I mean, I'll tell you right now, he knew he had to get that sweet in his mouth. But boy, just to watch him now. But now listen, that was the same stone that stood up here and just blasted out verse after verse after verse. And now it's like he's just trying to get a piece of sucker in his mouth. And could you imagine being the parents of that baby, watching that child, and here's what you're taxed with doing you're supposed to trust God. Your faith is supposed to be strong when everything that you believe is hard to believe. That's what I'm talking about. You trust even when you don't feel like it. Because I can promise you this. God has always come through and he always will. Amen. Amen. Let's trust the God of all comfort.
stand to our feet tonight. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight. I hope and pray that you'll allow him to strengthen you and whatever you're going through in life. I would encourage you, if you can find the book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would get it. I have a copy of it in my office. That's something that I think everyone ought to get interested in is good historical biographies. Very few people are reading today and we are allowing some of the greatest heroes of all of life to go by and we don't even know anything about them. We can learn so much from these people's lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's not a name easily forgotten. Bonhoeffer. You'll find him. You look him up. Be amazed how God used him. Through all of his trouble, how his life has spoke to so many people. Same with Paul. All of his trouble, he learned the God of comfort to help others. With head bowed and eyes closed this morning, you don't have to say anything to me, but you know in your heart God spoke to you about something. Why don't you say yes to him and let him have his way in your heart? Would you pray as I pray and just speak to him and ask him to help you? Heavenly Father, we do come to you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we've certainly not attained. We've certainly not got there. We, we want to we we grow closer to you. We, we, we want to, to be strengthened. But Lord, even in our darkest days, we're trusting the God of all comfort. And so Lord, I pray you'll help us to be faithful. Help us to learn of you. Lord, I pray you'll help us to take all the things that's in our lives to find you in that, that you've comforted us, so we can comfort others. Help us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Don't forget, sign up for the fall festival. Sign up for the cakes. They're all in the back there.